0: Hi, my name is Felix Krueger and I'm your host. If this is your first time tuning into the State of Sales Enablement podcast, welcome and thanks for your support. If you work closely with a B2B enterprise sales team in your role, make sure to check out the free on-demand training provided by Kruger Marketing, my business and the sponsor of this podcast. The training breaks down the steps required to shorten sales cycles with the effective use of content. To access the free training session, visit thisstateofsalesenablement.com slash content. That's thisstateofsalesenablement.com slash content.
1: Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence.
0: My guest on today's episode is both a well-respected sales enablement veteran in the Australian media industry and a technology buyer. He is board director of the Australian chapter of the International Advertising Association, the world's most influential network of marketing professionals and one of the smartest people I had the privilege of working with. In this interview, we speak to the head of ad product at News Corp Australia, Stuart Hayes. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart. Thank you, Felix. Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining today. So for those listeners that don't know you, what has been your career journey so far and what do you do now? Yeah,
1: so in terms of my journey today, I've been in digital media for 12 years, maybe. That time has roughly been split. 50/50 between media sales and sales enablement. So I've got kind of 50% experience on the sales side, and then 50% experience in the kind of sales support, sales enablement side. So I was media sales at places like CBS and CBS Interactive, and also moving into Fairfax. I started off my time at Fairfax in a media sales role, and then during my time at Fairfax, moved into more sales enablement, and then proceeded with that career path, going through places like Yahoo Seven, and now at News Corp as well. So now at News Corp, I'm in in a role. which basically looks after the commercialization of our on-network ad product portfolio across which media, video, targeting, and some of the native portfolio, looking at the end-to-end ideation, scoping, launch, and in-market representation of our ad product portfolio. And one of the key functions within that is making sure that our sales team has all the tools that they need to be able to go out and confidently sell the products that we build and that we launch so I guess that's why I'm here today.
0: That's right. You mentioned that you previously also worked in sales yourself, which is obviously the best case scenario for somebody working in sales enablement because you know what the challenges are, you know the mindset of the sales people that you're dealing with. So how would you say has this experience working in sales impacted your mindset in the way you approach sales? I think it leads to a really strong sense
1: of empathy. I know how challenging a sales role can be. I know how pressurized it is. I know how Much the sales teams, particularly premium publisher media sales, they're having to constantly create new angles, create new stories, think of new ways of doing things and ground that in kind of product experience and product knowledge. So I kind of understand how adaptable they need to be. And that really informs my decision making process, not just around the kind of sales enablement side of things, but also in the products that we launch and the way we talk about them. So First and foremost, it's that sense of empathy, being able to understand what they're going through on a day-to-day basis. And I think that really informs the way I operate and the way I ask my team to operate.
0: Yeah, I can totally confirm that having worked with you for about five years at Fairfax Media. So during that time, one thing that I certainly witnessed was that your team was really known for being very strong at engaging the sales team. So what were some of the tactics that you have used to effectively engage the sales team with your Content. One of the main sort of philosophies I have is about balancing the approach. Every salesperson
1: is different, and that might be on a knowledge basis, it might be on an experience basis, it might be their approach will vary from one end of a spectrum to another. The way I think about it is try and think of the sales function collectively, but not just collectively, but on an individual level as well. So every single salesperson is going to have a different set of experiences. They're going to have varying degrees of knowledge, particularly when it comes to digital. They're going to have a varying client base as well, but also a varying approach. So what we try and do is really try and find a middle ground between giving them the right amount of information and giving them the information that's going to serve them in the widest variety of situations. The way we think about it is we know that some salespeople, all they really need is a Line. Some salespeople just want to get out and sell and they might just need really a very brief 30 second almost elevator pitch of what their product does. So we'll provide that for them. And then we'll go into further in-depth content by tiers almost. So we'll produce the same if we're launching a product, for example, then the same type of material sales collateral will be produced Consistently, So it will be an elevator pitch, it will be a one page, or it will be a deck with a full story about why the product exists, why we're launching it, what the benefit of it is, what customer we think it's going to be suitable for, and how it's going to deliver value to them. Mm. But then we'll also have further information beyond that, which might include technical specifications. It might include more in-depth detail around how the product is operationalized and how Mm. it works behind the scenes. So what we're aiming to do there is give an individual salesperson a shopping list most a menu of information that they will need at any given stage. So they can go out and talk to a customer about it just in broad terms. But also if they have a customer that has more detailed information requirements, the salesperson can either deliver those pieces of information in the moment, or they can come back to us, find the information, and then get it to the customer as and when it's required. For me, it's really about thinking, what are the different situations a salesperson is going to be in based on their experience, based on their needs and requirements, based on the customer that they're talking to, based on how much they know about what mm. they're actually talking about and trying to sort of use a building block approach to provide them with the information that's going to be fit for purpose in any given situation.
0: Yeah, that's a really great insight to accommodate for those different buyer knowledge levels and situations that you might find yourself in, especially if the sales process isn't always the same, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that's where going back to having been in sales as well, it varies from person to person as well. And I don't want to have a salesperson thinking, well, I know a lot about this, but I don't know a lot about this. I'm going to do. Def- my thought process and my sales process to the products and the solutions I know more about because that automatically makes me think, well, are we delivering the right solution to the customer? Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that the customer is kind of put at the heart of what we're trying to do and their objective is really being met. So it's not being driven by a salesperson, not having the right tools or not having the right knowledge because that's Mm -hmm. the responsibility that's on teams like mine. Exactly.
0: For those listeners who aren't too familiar with the media space, so your main buyers are media agencies and also brands, right? Yeah, yeah. Sort of direct marketers
1: from key accounts, so big top end of town, big four banks and major retailers, and then major agencies, but also independent agencies as well. And one Mm -hmm. of the interesting things about News Corp is that it doesn't really stop there. They would be our primary client base, but we also have sales teams that look after SMB advertisers, micro agencies, real estate advertisers. Mm -hmm. So, we have a really broad cross-section of sales teams and advertisers, which is why my philosophy has always been about trying to make what we do as accessible as possible to everyone across that spectrum.
0: Yeah. Having worked in media and technology, one of the things that I found really interesting about the media industry is that what other industries can also learn from media is that because it's such a relationship-based business, because the market isn't that huge and you kind of build relationships for the long run, there's a large amount of time actually invested invested into educating buyers with that view on the longer term relationship. What would you say from your point of view is the balance in your content between educational content and product-specific content?
1: A lot of my content at the moment is product-specific. The nature of my role is really around the ad products themselves. So we deliver a lot of product-specific content. I've always thought that teams like ours and the digital specialist teams within businesses like Fairfax and News Corp that have a heavy print function as well, I think we've got a real responsibility to be that digital source of knowledge and source mm-hmm. of information. So the educational side of thing is something that I think we could potentially do more of. It can be very difficult sometimes to sort of take your head out of the day-to-day. There's a lot of educational content out there and it's done by bodies such as the IAB, for example, do a very good job of some of the educational content that they put out there. So it's something we do less of, I would say. The vast majority of it would be
0: product-specific at this stage. Okay, got it. Within your industry, do you see any trends in terms of sales content? Is there any significant trend that you can see across the industry as a whole in terms of the kind of content that is being produced?
1: Yeah, I think there's something interesting around trying to find a point of difference, I think has become increasingly significant, particularly the last three to five years as the digital advertising ecosystem has sort of evolved. So a lot of the time, we sort of rest on the foundation of our core USPs, which may be premium content and a large, engaged audience. We're often trying to find the point of difference within our product and really trying to drive home what the benefit is for an advertiser. So benefit-led messaging is obviously nothing new, but we really try and kind of bring that to the forefront of the way we talk about our products, particularly Mm. when we launch them. Mm. But really, it becomes a question of, Trying to sell the sizzle is what I'm trying to say. So really pushing the excitement or the innovation or the differentiation that a product might have. And I think ten years ago you could see that in some of the things that we were doing around homepage executions, for example, and different naming conventions and different kind of functionalities within ad formats. I think you've got to really prove that you can deliver something different to an advertiser every time you pick up the phone or every time you have a meeting. It's not just a promise of delivery. It's not just a promise of meeting an outcome. It's actually proof of that as well. So I would say that from end to end, you've got to be a lot clearer these days about justifying your claims.
0: And in terms of the actual content formats that you use to communicate with market, how has that changed over time? I
1: think that hasn't changed Significantly, there's still a lot of usage of presentation tools, whether it's a PowerPoint or a Google Slides. That that seems to be the benchmark or the go-to when it comes to how we deliver information to customers. We've looked at different ways of presenting information at different times. I think sometimes the kind of old tools and the, the traditional tools can be the best ones. It's one of those situations where I would say, if it isn't broken, then why fix it? Yeah. And I've seen presentation tools that I've absolutely loved over the years, getting traction with them, and you can't underestimate the collaborative benefits of things like slides, for example, which can have different people working on them concurrently and all that.
0: Yeah, because especially your turnaround times for proposals is often very short, right? So you need to be operationally very efficient in the way you go out to market and produce content, right? Yeah, exactly right. Times get compacted. And also in big
1: businesses, we often have big teams contributing to the same piece of work as well. So we need to make sure that it's a system that everyone's comfortable with and that everyone's familiar with. Prezi is always one of those ones that I've kind of enjoyed working with in small doses over the years. But to get a large number of people all on board with that and using it, sometimes you question whether the benefit at the other end is worth the input. It's a fantastic
0: tool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in those specific cases, I guess you would also need the vendor that actually provides that platform for content creation also to play a significant role in educating and enabling the broader sales team to use that tool which is then not really your responsibility, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I think it's one of those
1: tough ones. I think people can often be resistant to change. But then if you look at things like Slack, I mean, that's obviously made a huge amount of headway in terms of changing the way people communicate within businesses. So it is possible, but I don't think it happens quickly or overnight.
0: Yeah. And speaking of technology tools, so in your position over the years, you have also been a technology buyer yourself. What are some of the things that you found being on the other side of the buying process have been some of the things that sales teams from technology companies done well or not so well when they were pitching to you? I think in the
1: first instance, it can be very simple. The number of times I've seen proposals put forward that there's a basic lack of understanding about the business that I work in or the needs or requirements that I have. And it wouldn't take that much, even sort of five minutes of desk-based research To kind of answer some of the questions that are being posed in the proposal, or even to get a sense of where the business is at, what the priorities are, what the challenges are. I think that basic level of research, nine times out of 10, unfortunately, is completely lacking. And what that does mean is that the 10th case out of the 10 that does do that stands out immeasurably Mm. because they've done that bit of research. They might have made a few phone calls. They might have popped up and said, just interested to know where you're at. It's subtle and it's a slightly different approach, but it goes a long way. To actually getting the foot in the door, I think it's that small amount of tailoring or personalization or even just having a basic level of understanding of who you're talking to and why you're talking to them which is going back to sales enablement in some ways is kind of one of the basic rules in a lot of
0: ways. Yeah, I cannot tell you how much I agree with that comment. Just the basic research before you approach a client and especially in Newscope Australia, right? It's not a small business. So yeah. you would think that it's worth the effort to do a bit of research. When I think back at my time at Fairfax Media, we had a large RFP, on my video platform so really big piece of infrastructure technology and we put a lot of effort into the rfp to actually communicate to vendors what we want to hear about And some of the presentations that we had were literally vendors talking for two hours about themselves Mm. and not responding to a single requirement. And it was stated in the RFP as part of the presentation. It was like watching a two-hour car crash in slow motion. It was just a pity because oftentimes those people also traveled from the U.S. to Australia to present and seeing such large opportunities wasted for a seven-figure deal is just tragic. I think that would also be my advice to technology companies to really put in the effort to do the homework and to tailor those pitches as much as possible, especially for key accounts. Yeah, look, and I think it's interesting because it's seemingly an unrelated question to what we're talking about
1: earlier. But A lot of times we're on different sides of the same coin. In one instance, we're the ones that are trying to put together a tailored piece of messaging in order to sell a product to a customer. And then you've almost got that reverse situation. So look, I understand how hard it is when you've got a large number of clients and when you've got a large sales force to actually tailor those messages. But then on the buy side, I kind of demand that at the same time. So I'm conscious of both sides and how challenging it can be. Like you say, it's going that extra mile if you can go that extra mile then it just stands out and sets everything up for success much
0: more yeah exactly speaking of market intelligence or client intelligence what is the best way for sales enablement professionals to collaborate with the sales team to actually gain that market intelligence and that client intelligence It's an interesting question, especially with large
1: sales forces and I've traditionally, certainly in my premium publisher days, worked with very large sales teams. It's about being specific, being clear about what you want. There's a lot of conversations that take place. Everything happens very quickly and trying to gather the information that is going to be really useful. It's going to be meaningful to bring into a roadmap discussion, for example, or a discussion around product positioning. You've got to be clear about what you want. You've got to listen carefully. And I think often some of the best ways ways of doing it is by embedding with a salesperson, either with them while they work or out with them when they're talking to customers. I think, again, it's stating the obvious, but I think hearing product feedback and hearing what a customer thinks from the horse's mouth, there's no substitute. There's no substitute for that. That would be as best as possible is trying to get that qualitative feedback on an ongoing basis, but then trying to formalize a way of getting quantitative feedback as well on a regular basis. So finding out how customers engage, whether it's through web analytics, whether it's through ongoing survey tools, anything like that, trying to get a benchmark in place, trying to get a sense of customer satisfaction, sort of whether they recommend your products to colleagues, to friends, to family, that sort of stuff. It's really important to get that on an ongoing basis as well and benchmark your improvement over time.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess getting that sort of feedback through established channels like surveys becomes really more important, especially now with COVID-19. Yeah. Because you're not as close to the customer physically and sometimes also virtually as you have been before. And on that note, have you seen any changes during COVID-19 and the way you interact with your buyers, apart from the obvious ones. Video conferencing would obviously play a big role now, but how do you see that whole interaction with buyers changing during COVID-19?
1: From my perspective, I think the most important thing is making sure that you can be clear in your communication. With that removal of face-to-face interaction and those interactions primarily going into video conference, you're losing quite a lot in the way of nonverbal communication. So what you say in that instance has to be very clear, but then also the information that you provide either through the channel of a presentation that you give in that forum or in the information that gets sent across prior or subsequently needs to be really clear. And it needs mm. to be created and developed with the customer in mind. Mm. So I think you've got to make sure that it's past the test whereby it's jargon-free, for example, and doesn't have anything too technical in there. Again, that technical information is on hand and can be provided on request. But really, it's about being super specific, making sure that you've got a very clear benefit-led statement that starts the whole piece of communication off and then letting it flow from there.
0: Yeah, I think those times of those big 30, 50 slides decks is really over you know you have to be much more concise and much more engaging than that in interacting with the customers right if you think about the things that are going on in everybody's life and people struggling with lockdowns and whatnot the last thing that somebody has the mental capacity for is processing those big slide decks so i totally agree like you have to be much more focused and engaging in your communication than you used to be
1: yeah that's exactly right i often operate on the understanding that you probably got 30 seconds or Mm -hmm. if you're lucky Key 60 to get your key message across about a new launch or a new product or a new initiative or something like that. So, if you haven't nailed it in that first 30 or 60 seconds, then you might be onto a loser. But it's perfectly doable as long as the end to end process, you know why you've brought a solution to market, you know which clients you've got in mind for it when you design and develop it. It's scoped in the right way, it's validated in the right way. If you've done all of those bits, then the kind of positioning piece. Can be done, and it can be done effectively, and it can be done in a really concise and compelling manner.
0: Yeah, that's right. One trend that I've personally seen more and more, as well as during presentations, that they're being kept more interactive. So, one of the techniques that I've come across a few times now is, first of all, that slide decks are being shared upfront, so that people are already given the opportunity to engage with them and to look through them. And then on top of that, during presentations to also tie in a lot of breaks for Questions or for exchanges, so that it's not just a one-way broadcast, which often results in oddly people turning their camera off and their microphone off, you know, and you're speaking into the virtual dark room, and you don't know what's going on on the other side. I guess that's a challenge to get those cues and that real-time feedback that you would typically get when you're in one room with somebody presenting now through digital channels. And I think that that's one way to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? We kind of lost that. I think we probably took it for granted that face-to face interaction and being able to pick up non-verbal cues while we were talking to people it's sort of led us to adapt it's led us to become more focused and more clear in our communication in a lot of ways and I think that's probably a good thing mm-hmm. and as we go back to communicating in a more face-to-face environment I think that clarity of communication and that ability to be focused on on what you're saying and what the person you're talking to actually wants. Hopefully those trends will continue. You just maybe think of something when it comes to presentations. And again, best practice would surely be finding out who's in the room finding out what their preferred style is. Because there's, again, there's scenarios when a half an hour broadcast situation will be what is required. If it's a a dump of information that needs to take place, the person or group that you're presenting to is time for, then that might work. But if you've got a more engaging group, if you've got people that want to ask more questions, then put aside an hour and make Mm. sure that the presentation or that the piece of information that you're sharing with them, you've got allocated half an hour for that and you've got plenty of time for questions. You can even throw in interactive pieces as well. That's something that we try and do really make people think on a deeper level about what we're telling them. So we might play a game up front, or we might do something that will really make them think and tie it into a personal experience or a shared experience more accurately.
0: Yeah. By the way, how large is the sales team at News Corp Australia?
1: It's several hundred people. It's probably in the region of five or six hundred people.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's very really large. Massive stakeholder group to manage. <laughs> yes. Out of that big group, there will obviously be star performers that really engage closely with your team. What would you say those salespeople that really effectively utilize your team as a resource have in common? It's a good question. I think the
1: ones that stand out are the curious ones, the yeah. ones that want to know more about the product. They may not need to know in that instance all the detail, but they're just interested. They want to find out more. Not only are they curious, not only are they keen to find out more, but they're collaborative. They think clearly about yeah. what we're trying to do and they're on board with the process. So a lot of them, the way I talked about ideation and scoping and validation, they'll often be the ones that are involved in that process as well and will feed into the positioning stage so Statements that we're creating, so they're very collaborative. They're brought in to the process from day one. So not only are they collaborative pre-launch, but once we've launched a product, they'll be out there and they'll be talking to their customers, and they'll have a much clearer sense of what the feedback means. So when a customer talks to them about a particular solution or about a particular product, the excellent salespeople will be able to take that information and bring it back to us in a way that becomes meaningful and useful to use my phrases from earlier. So curious, they're collaborative, the ones that are adaptable as well, we obviously know that their world is changing rapidly and we can be as adaptable as possible to meet their needs. But it also it's one of those things that goes in reverse as well. So knowing that there's a give and take and there's a fluidity in that relationship. I think the ones that accept and appreciate that are the ones that stand out in terms of interaction and strong working relationship with our team.
0: Mm. I think it's quite challenging for media salespeople in particular, especially at big publishers like News Corp Australia. There's a lot of products that salespeople can sell, right? Digital ad products cannot exist one day and then a few weeks later they have been created and there's oftentimes a situation where you have dozens of products that a salesperson could sell i think it's really different when you think about technology companies for example if you only had a handful of products that you can talk about i think media salespeople have to be very skilled in the way they utilize resources like your team to be effective in their roles Yeah, and that's why a key part of
1: we talked a lot about information and collateral and and all that sort of stuff. But the key part of the way my teams have always operated has been that ad hoc ongoing reactive support. So Mm -hmm. making sure that a salesperson, if their approach is more generalist, in reality, we've got the specialists on hand, whether it's around an ad product, whether it's around an advertising category, whether it's around digital in general. We've Mm -hmm. got those experts on hand so we can be involved in brainstorms. We can be involved in proactives. We can be involved in brief responses. Is we can be involved in going out and talking to customers and we're always available to get out there, talk to customers where required, but also further and deepen the salesperson's knowledge as a byproduct of that process as well, which is why the curiosity is important because then they can take that information forward with them and use it in their next meeting or their next brainstorm or whatever.
0: Mm, yeah, that's right. So you've been operating in that space for quite a while now, but for those sales and even professionals who are just starting out in their careers or people who just moved into sales enablement roles. What are your top tips for those people to better service their sales teams?
1: I think listening would be number one. Listen to what people say to you and try and use the information in a meaningful way. Try and work out what people are saying to you. Again, trying to find the really solid bits of information when there's a lot of information coming at you from a sales team can be quite challenging. What you want to get to the heart of is what customers want, what they say they want, and what other people say they want. I think there's three really important things there. So when you're listening to people's feedback, whether it's a customer or whether it's a sales team, just try and have that in mind because that will lead you to make better decisions. There's also an element where sales teams can be really valuable sources of information. They always are valuable sources of information. So It's about gathering that information and turning it into something that you can action. is the key part. So listen, figure out what the nuggets of gold are, the bits of information that are going to be really useful for you, but then plan around it and stick to your guns. Once you've got that plan in place and it's based on solid feedback and solid research, stick to the plan. That's
0: very good advice. It's quite striking that in a B2B space, people are obsessed with technology tools and whatnot. Oftentimes in sales enablement, it really comes down to the soft skills and your ability to understand understand feedback and to really utilize that in your strategy. Yeah, that's it. It's
1: a very close symbiotic relationship between sales enablement and a sales team. I think it's really important to understand, like we said earlier, the pressure that a salesperson is under, particularly in media sales, although pick an industry and you'll probably find that it's under pressure from pandemic and from digital transformation and from all kinds of things. Sales teams are under significant pressure across industries. So it's really about having that empathy, understanding what they're trying to do is tough. And a lot of the time, what they're looking for is help in creating something new. And that doesn't necessarily mean a new product or a new solution. It might be a new story. It might be a new angle. It might be a new way of talking about something. It might be a new proof point. Hmm. So it's something that we often forget once a product has hit market. There can sometimes be a false idea that you iterate. you need to review, iterate, you need to kind of constantly improve that product. Whereas sometimes just letting it breathe, giving it some airspace to reach as many people targeted customers as possible, the smarter option would potentially be to create new stories around it Mm. and demonstrate that it works. So making Mm. sure that you've given it the right amount of breathing space, if you like, to have the success that you have quite rightly set it up for in the first place. Again, as long as all the market validation and, and the scoping has been done correctly in the first place, you have faith that you've done the right thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean comes down to I guess structuring the feedback channels and being able to utilize that and also knowing when to change the messaging and when to stick with your strategy, right?
1: Yeah, that's it. And that's not an exact science. That can be hard and that comes with experience. I say stick to the plan, but obviously there's also times when you have to (laughs) throw the plan out the window and and, That's right.
0: It becomes suicidal at some
1: stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think that's where having the right KPIs in place are important. And again, going back to that point around feedback is knowing what you're measuring, knowing what the product is set up to do, and then being able to go out post-launch and be specific about the questions that you're asking in order to be able to prove that. So everything's linked from end to end. If you know at the start why you're launching something, and then you can prove at the end that it's delivering Mm. on that objective, then your story kind of ties together.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think utilizing sales teams and for that matter, any sort of customer facing teams is such an invaluable resource. If you as a sales enablement professional are not actually based in the sales team, if you're kind of sitting separate or if you're in a marketing team, it's so important to build those relationships within customer facing teams to get that feedback. It's so important. It saves you time and also saves a massive amount of money if you can avoid running market research studies that would actually validate the same thing so basically establishing those channels and then being really structured around gathering that feedback is really invaluable yeah exactly right i couldn't agree more oh stuart thanks so much for your time it was great to have you on the show i've learned a lot pretty much like always when i talk to you (laughs) (laughs) and where can people find you online
1: yeah so the best place would be linkedin under linkedin i think it's dot com forward slash stuart hayes that would be the best place awesome
0: well get ready for an influx of linkedin invites and (laughs) again thanks for your time and i wish you all the best for 2021
1: fantastic yeah thanks for having me
0: on the show felix If your business is like 96% of all B2B companies selling remotely, chances are that your sales cycles have become longer and buyers less responsive since the pandemic started. The most successful B2B sales teams are able to reduce friction during long sales cycles by being strategic about the way they use content to engage and educate buyers. Kruger Marketing, the sponsor of this podcast, has developed a system called Content-Enabled Sales, which helps B2B enterprise sales teams to shorten the sales cycle length by strategically using content during the sales process. Listeners of this podcast gain free access to a training session that teaches you how to shorten the most complex B2B enterprise sales cycles with content. To view the on-demand training session, visit thestateofsalesenablement.com slash content. That's thestateofsalesenablement.com slash content.